Welcome to the Renovate Podcast. My name is Ben Fuquay. This week at Renovate, we were joined by Matt Lance, who preached through what it looks like to live the life that God has called us to live. We hope you're challenged and we hope you're encouraged. Enjoy. Hey guys, good to see you again. My name's Matt. I'm, uh, I saw a lot of you guys last week and um, hopefully we'll get a good chance to spend some time together tonight. This is my plan. Um, if you guys, if you have your Bibles with you tonight, you can open up to John chapter one. We're gonna be in uh, all kinds of different parts of John tonight. Um, if, you don't, if we don't know each other, if we've never met before, that's cool. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Darcy, for about 16 years this December. We've got three kids, 10, 7, and 4 years old. Lots of fun at our house right now. And uh, I'm a graduate of TCU. Go Frogs. <laughs> Class of 2000. And uh, grew up in Plano and have been living out here, working at Christ Chapel. Yeah, go Cats. Um, I've been living out here in uh, Fort Worth for the past year and a half. Been on staff here at Christ Chapel since last summer, I work out at our West Campus as the associate pastor out there and have been loving it. So uh, really excited to be with you guys tonight and uh, really overwhelmed by the fact that it's election season. Did you guys hear about what happened yesterday in Dallas and Tarrant County, the largest voter turnout for a midterm election ever? Isn't that crazy? So many people turning out for the elections. And I, I got to tell you guys... I, at least over the past couple years, I don't know exactly how it is. I, like, I just feel overwhelmed by all of the choices and all of the things that I'm supposed to do. The world keeps telling me that I'm supposed to do this, that, or the other, and I feel it really a lot. Now, I'm, I'm watching the news at night, and there's a political ad, and a political ad, and a political ad, and I just, I just can't get away from it everywhere I go. And Beto, Beto however you say that guy's name, Beto O'Rourke, he won't stop texting me. Ted Cruz texts me like every other day. Like, I can't get these people to leave me alone. I mean, just the other day, I ate carbs for lunch. And somebody, I felt like I needed to confess my sins when I was done, because carbs are bad. You know, it's supposed to, I, had, I had a piece of white bread, and it was like the worst. It was terrible. Um, somebody came up to me the other day and said, Matt, you have a weak sock game. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> I'm like... He said, your socks are too plain. And I'm like, they're socks. <laughs> Aren't socks plain no matter what color they are or how many colors they have in them? And I'm just, I, everybody's got these other things. I, I, I went to lunch the other day with a friend and I order a Coca-Cola because it's the best beverage on the planet. None of that diet stuff. Give me the fully loaded hardcore Coke, right? And I, <laughs> Stop judging me for ordering sugar with my lunch. A cup of sugar goes fine with my burger. Don't judge me. It's fine. My, I'm not going to get diabetes. My addiction to Bluebell will take care of that. Um, I just feel like there's a lot of, like, I should be part of CrossFit or Camp Gladiator. Or I should ride Peloton or, like, their orange theory. Is that the new purple something color? I don't remember. I don't understand, like... Everywhere I go, there's somebody on a television or in a marketing campaign or one of my friends at a, at a lunch table giving me a hard time about the way I'm living my life. They're, they're, it's funny, ha-ha, but they're kind of, they're, 
I, they're kind of passively, aggressively telling me, you're doing it wrong. But are you doing it right? I, like, I don't know if you guys feel this as much as I do. Maybe it's just because I'm old and feeling like irrelevant and not hip anymore. Maybe so it's my midlife crisis and you're just being really nice to me right now. But it really has been, it really has been very apparent to me because really over the past two or three years, I feel like so many people are telling us how to live our lives. And if we just live our lives their way, then our lives would be better or the world would be better. And it's funny about stuff like carbs and whatever workout plan you ascribe to and whether or not you wear the right socks. But there's serious stuff, too, that's happened. I mean, you guys watched what happened to our country with Brett Kavanaugh. You guys have seen what's happened with the Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter, immigration, refugees, the Supreme Court decision a few years ago. There are a lot, a lot of opinions out there about how life should be lived and the way it should be done. And it's overwhelming, personally. And I want you guys to hear me tonight because I want you to know that the world is not a neutral place. It's not. It is in the process of teaching you. It is in the process of training you. It is in the process of discipling you, whether you know it or not. It wants you to become a certain type of person. And the question is, will you listen to the world that you're a part of and the way it defines life the way it should be lived? Or would you rather listen to God and more specifically Jesus and the way he thinks life should be lived? Christianity speaks into the forum of this world, whether that's on Facebook or Twitter or in the church or out in the, in the business world, wherever you are, Christianity speaks and says, no, 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 no. This is how life should be lived. And everybody else responds back. It's like, well, why? Why is Christianity's way of living life any better than this other way of living life, of socialism or of capitalism or of feminism or of universalism? What's, what makes Christianity any better or any different Answer, Jesus. Jesus offers humanity life the way it was designed to be lived. When the best the world has to offer is a cacophony of opinion. I just wanted to say cacophony. Can you say it with me? Say, say cacophony. It's just a fun word to say. A cacophony. Wow, cacophony. <laughs> the best the world has to offer is a boatload of opinions about how life should be lived. But Jesus comes to offer life the way it was designed to be lived. I want to show you what I mean tonight by walking you through some passages in the Gospel of John that illustrate this point. Now, the Gospel of John, if you're not familiar with it, is a book about the life of Christ written by one of his followers. John was his youngest follower, and he wrote the book, he wrote his account of Jesus' life a lot differently than some of his other followers did because John's Gospel was written last he knew what his other, the other disciples had written about Jesus, and so John wanted to emphasize some other things. And in particular, one of the themes that you find running throughout the entire book of John is the theme of life. Okay? It's how the gospel begins. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at John chapter 1, and I'll read to you verses 1 through 4. It says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word 
was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. That's a pretty big statement. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Five things I think you need to understand about what John is saying here in chapter one. Number one, God is the author of life. Not you, not me, not the world. Nobody invented life. God is the author of it. Number two, as the author of life, he is therefore the only authority about life and how it should be lived. No opinions about life are necessary because his is the authority. If he is, in fact, the author of life, if we aren't just a bunch of, if we aren't descendants of a bunch of amoebas, I'm going to go ahead and assume in a creator God and that we are not descendants of some bacterial organism. If that's the case, then we have all been created. And if that's the case, somebody created us and we did not invent ourselves. Therefore, the authority about our life does not reside here. It resides in the author or the creator of life itself. Number three, God wanted there to be no mistake about what life is and what life should be. He felt so strongly about that, that his word about life became flesh and dwelt among us. God's will for what life should be didn't just stay in auditory form or in written form. It became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus Christ. Which leads us to number four. Life is not a created part of the world. Notice, it doesn't say he created life. Life is not part of creation. Why? Nowhere will you find, and God created life. Life is ever and only found in Christ. In him was life, the text says. He is the one from whom all life originates, and he is the one from whom all life finds its being. Which means, number five, that Jesus is the authority on life, period. It originates with him. So when we're wondering what life should be, when we're living in a cacophony of opinions about what life should be, perhaps we should ask him how life ought to be lived. So I wanna walk you through a few passages that I think illustrate that fact. The next one is in John chapter 10. So turn to the right a few pages. Let's look at how Jesus explains and proves his authority about life in this gospel. John 10.10 10 says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The thief being Satan, our enemy. I came, Jesus says, that they may have life and have it abundantly. What's interesting to me about this passage is that when he says this, wasn't there already life when Jesus spoke about this? 
Wasn't there already life when Jesus was alive? How can he come so that they can have life if they are already living? Have you ever wondered about this? John 3, 3 says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here's the idea. It is possible to be biologically alive but physically, excuse me, spiritually dead. That's why I bought, brought Fred here with me tonight. Okay? I don't know if you guys have ever met Fred before, but Fred is my friendly houseplant. Say hi, Fred. Hi, Fred. Hi, Fred. Fred is a good friend of mine, and I don't know if you know this, but Fred can do tricks. Okay? He can do math. Okay? Watch this. Hey, Fred, what's two plus two? Fred, two plus two, buddy. Just show them with your leaves. Um, okay, let's make it easier. Uh, what's the square root of 573? Hey, buddy. Nothing, huh? Is this plant alive? How do you know? Because it's green, right? It's not dead and shriveled up, right? It's not brown, correct? It is biologically alive, and yet it cannot do arithmetic. Why? Now we're getting all anthropological here, aren't we? <laughs> wow. Can this plant respond to my commands? If I told it to do push-ups, could it do push-ups? No, if I told it to get better looking socks, could it obey? <laughs> no. Poor guy. My socks are very plain tonight, if you're wondering. Here's the thing that I want you guys to see about this plant. This plant represents the possibility of something that is biologically alive, but in relationship to me, even though it lives, it's dead. It has no capacity to respond to me. It has no ability to obey anything that I say. Anytime I say something to it, it doesn't pay attention to me. Why? Because it has no life in it that is capable of listening to me. This is how we are all born as sinners, separated from God in that sense. You ever heard somebody say that we're spiritually dead? That doesn't mean that we're physically dead. It means that when God speaks to us, we don't respond. We don't listen. Is there a way that this plant could actually do arithmetic? Probably not. But if there was, it would require a new kind of life, a different quality of life for it to be able to do arithmetic, a kind of life it does not currently possess. Or could I say it this way? It would need to be born again. And then it could respond to my voice. It would have life in a way that it has not yet had life, even though it has already been alive for quite some time. 
Does this make sense? So when Jesus comes to Nicodemus in John chapter three, and he says, I don't get it. Why does somebody have to be born again? You can just think, oh, Fred. Okay, I get it with Fred. It's possible to be physically alive, but spiritually dead and still need another kind of life to be able to enjoy life the way Jesus meant for it to be lived. Okay? That's the thing I want you to see. Jesus is the source of life because he makes it available to us. He says, I come so that they may have life and have it to the fullest or to have it abundantly. That means I am able to hear God when he speaks to me. I am able to live life the way that he intended for life to be lived, not the way that I think it should be lived because every time I live life the way I think it should be lived, I get myself in trouble. If you're here last week, I, I, I enumerated about my many failures just in my dating life alone, much less any other part of my life that I haven't told you about. When I do things my way, I get in trouble. When I do things God's way, I thrive. And that's what Jesus is saying here in John 10, as well as what he's saying to Nicodemus in John uh, 3. So Jesus is the authority on life as it should be lived. He is also the source of life and where it comes from and how we can enjoy it. He makes it available to us. So I want us to turn back to John chapter one and I want us to look at this again in light of what I, what I opened with tonight. It says in John one, four and five, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The world you live in has a lot of opinions about how life should be lived, doesn't it? A lot of opinions. And most of those ideas and ideologies are polarizing and divisive because they're opinions that are built on a human ethic, a human morality. They have merit. They make sense. They are even good. But at the end of the day, they're just made up. The life that Jesus offers cuts through those options just like light cuts through darkness. It's not another option on the buffet. The life that Jesus offers is the only true and real life that exists. Everything else is just an opinion. And the way I like to illustrate that is by what the word life is in the Gospel of John. When, how many of you guys are in the medical field? Like you have studied medicine, you work in the medical industry or you are studying medicine or something like that. What classes did you take in order to get your medical degree? Biology, right? Okay. The Greek word here in John 3.16, in John 10.10, in John 14.6, in John 8.12, or any other place we look for the word life in the gospel of John, you expect it to see Whosoever believeth in Jesus shall not perish, but have everlasting bios, right? That's what you expected if you were going to look it up in the Greek. But that's not what it says. It says, whosoever believeth in me shall not perish, but have everlasting zoe. That's not bios. So when Jesus is talking about eternal bios, he's not talking about eternal physical life, biological life. 
He's talking about something else. He's talking about Zoe. And the way I like to illustrate this is by telling you the story of my 10th anniversary trip with my wife, the Bahamas. Have you been to the Bahamas? You gotta go. It's our 10th anniversary. We had really, really small children that were really, really annoying (laughs) because they were small and they poop a lot and throw up and do all the kinds of gross things that you just, this is not what I signed up for, but it is what I signed up for, so I have to deal with it. And then you really need a vacation. So hopefully you guys will have kids someday. Um, so we go on this vacation because we just needed to get away. We, were, we had saved up a lot of money. We went to an all-inclusive resort. We, we got there. We're filling out our paperwork to get in there. And as soon as I'm done filling out the paperwork at this all-inclusive resort in the Bahamas, yes, the last thing that happens to me is the, the attendant at the desk slides a cell phone over. You guys remember those old Nokia brick phones, you know, that were like this thick, remember? Slides one of those brick phones across the, the desk to me and says, oh, and this is, this is the cell phone for your butler. Um, my what? For your butler. This is, you, this is the cell phone for your butler. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'm a thrifty guy. I did not order that. And you're not going to nickel and dime me, sir. I am not paying whatever thousand dollars it is it's going to cost me for that butler in my room. No, thank you. Ha! Uh, you, it comes with your room. You paid for it already. It says paid in full here, so it's yours. You might as, well, might as well use it. What? And my wife looks at me and goes, you got a room with a butler? <laughs> <laughs> yes, apparently I did. So, you know, I pick up, what am I supposed to do with a cell phone for a butler? I've never had a butler in my life, you know? So we're, dra- you know, we're walking to our rooms. When we walk into our room, it just gets weirder, okay? So we walk into our room, and there's our butler in our room already before we're there. And so that's kind of weird. And not only is our butler in our room, but it's a woman and not a man, and her name's not Jeeves, and she's not dressed in black with a white towel over and like all the stereotypes, right? None of that. And then she tells us, hi, I'm one of your butlers. And I'm like, I have more than one? <laughs> yes, actually, you have three because we're on 12-hour rotations to serve your every need. Oh, <laughs> Thank you very much. And so it was very odd because over the next three days, we came to realize that our butlers, so we'll just speak of it as one, as a collective here, just for ease, but our butler was paying attention, like stalking us at this resort, okay? They were paying attention to what time we got up and left our rooms. They paid attention to what restaurants we ate at, what we ordered at the restaurants, what we drank, lemonade, um, <laughs> um, where we sat at the pool, where we sat at the beach, what activities we signed up for, the whole smash, okay? It was really creeping us out. And not once, not once in three days did I use that cell phone to call my butler for anything until the third day. That's always happens on the third day. Third day is a good day. It's a good day. We're sitting by the pool. Tell me if this has ever happened to you. You're sitting by the pool and it's 10.45, too late for breakfast and too early for lunch. You know that feeling? You're like, man, I really want to eat right now, but I shouldn't. And I'm lying there by the pool in my cabana, sitting there reading my book. My wife is next to me. There are no pooping children near me at any time asking me for things or just being annoying. I love my kids, I really do. 
And I'm thinking, I could really go for some nachos right now and a couple of lemonades. Uh, that would be really great. But I don't want to walk all the way over to the bar to get them. And it's kind of too late for breakfast too. I don't want to ruin my lunch. I'm going to eat all day here. I'm just going to get fat. So I look over at the phone. And then I look up. And there she is. I'm not kidding you. A plate of nachos and two pina coladas. And she sets them down on the tray between our two little things. And she says, I just thought you guys would want a mid-morning snack. Hope you have a great day. And she walks away and I'm like, she's in my head. How did she get in my head? I am not kidding you. Like I look down and then I look up and she's there. Like, how did this happen? And does this work again if I try it again? We blew up that phone from that day on, okay? And the worst part about the whole vacation is when we got home, nobody gave me a phone for a butler. <laughs> so we're lying there. I'm eating my nachos and I'm drinking my lemonade. And I look at my wife and what do I say to her? Babe, this is, what do I say? The life. What do I mean when I say that? Am I saying, babe, this is the biological existence this is the bios. <laughs> is that what I'm saying? No. What am I saying? I'm saying this is the Zoe. Zoe means life the way it should be. Life the way it was designed to be. Right? And everybody has that in this world today. Everybody does. Some of you guys are saying, gosh, I would never go to the beach on a vacation where I wanted to get away from annoying children. I would go to the mountains where there's snow and I would ski. That's the life. And some of you guys are going, no, that's not the life. I would go and go to Vegas and play the slot machines in this $1.6 billion lottery thing or whatever else it is. Some of you guys might say, no, it's about getting wasted every night. That's the life. About having as many partners as I want and not having to feel regret about it. That's the life. About making as much money as I can, as quickly as I can, so I can have as much stuff as I can. That's the life. The penthouse. That is the life. Power. That's the life. The world teaches us with its cacophony of opinions about what life is and how it should be lived. And it has discipled you. It has mentored you. It has taught you. It has formed your opinions about life and the way it should be lived. But I ask you, have you asked Jesus about life the way he intended for it to be lived? And is that the way you're choosing to live your life? Because last time I checked, he is its authority. He is its source. And he makes it available to us. A lot of people seem to think that Christianity is just another moral ethic, another politic to add to the foray of all the different opinions. We got Republicans, we got Democrats, we got independents. It's just another one of those. 
And I want you to hear this quote because I think it's really, really important. It's kind of nerdy, so put your nerd glasses on and go like this. <laughs> I'm serious. If you guys can get this quote, it will make a whole lot of other things make a whole lot more sense. Listen to what this guy says. In the minds of most of our contemporaries, Christianity primarily means morality. It's just a moral system. Some, it's, a, it's a warm blanket to help you sleep at night. It's a way to order your life. That's all it is. However, God's revelation has nothing whatever to do with morality. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Why? Because what Jesus says in the Gospels is not morality. It has an existential character and rests on a radical change of being. That's something morality cannot do. A moral code does not change who you are. A moral code cannot give you life so that you can respond to the living God. As Genesis shows us, the origin of sin in the world is the knowledge of good and evil. In this context, knowledge means decision. What is not acceptable to God is that we should decide on our own what is good and what is evil. Biblically, the good is in fact the will of God. That's it. What God decides, whatever it may be, is the good. If then we decide what the good is, then we substitute our own will for God's will. We construct a morality when we say what is good, and then it is, that we are, it is at that time that we are radically sinners. To elaborate, a moral system is to show oneself to be a sinner before God, not because the conduct is bad, but because even if it's good, another good is substituted for the will of God. Matt, tell me, how is it possible that somebody who isn't a Christian that does so much good in the world could be considered a sinner and not acceptable to God? Answer, they invented their own version of what life is and how it should be lived. They ignored life the way God designed for it to be and offered it to us in and through Jesus Christ because they thought they knew that their will was better than God's. And so even though that it may be a good thing and it may help other people, ultimately it is a rejection of the one who created them in the first place. Jesus offers humanity, Zoe, life the way it was meant to be lived, not according to you, not according to me, but according to him. Look at these passages that Jesus says throughout the rest of the Gospel of John as he makes his point over and over and over again. 
John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of Zoe. You guys live in a cacophony of opinions that make it a dark place. But when we follow Jesus, it's like light and it just cuts through the darkness and eliminates it and it shows us the way. Which is what he says in John 14, 6. Jesus says to Philip, I am the way, the truth, and the Zoe. No one comes to the Father except through me. John eleven twenty five 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the Zoe. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? John 17, 3, this is, is eternal Zoe, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Guys, life is most full, most true, and most at peace, not when you eat quinoa <laughs> or Diet Coke or have really, a really good sock game or a really low body fat percentage, or that you voted straight ticket or not. Life is most full, most at peace, and most true when it is lived his way instead of our way. When we live our lives his way instead of by our own opinion about how life should be lived. Jesus has offered us life the way the author of life, the authority on life, the source of life has designed for it to be lived. Jesus offers us designer life, not cheap dollar store imitation opinions. Get the brand name stuff because it's the only thing that's worth your life. Would you rather live your life following after the latest opinion craze, the next movement, the next social justice initiative, the next political frenzy, and have the world that you live in tell you what's important by what you read on your social media feeds and what you watch on your cable news? Or would you rather admit that God knows more about how to live your life than you do? Do you believe that? That God knows more about how to live your life than you do? Jesus makes life available, not just any kind of life, but life the way it was meant to be lived. And I know that Ben will be the first to tell you that that doesn't mean that life is perfect. That doesn't mean that life is easy. That doesn't mean that life is gonna be good. But at least it will be life. Not slavery to what you think other people want from you.
so that you can keep up with their opinions. I commend Jesus to you as the authority on life, the source of life. And I implore you to believe on him. His offer to you of life to the fullest stands. And if that's that's something you've never done, I think tonight would be a great opportunity for you to do that. And if you still have more questions, we would love to answer them. I'll stay here. I know that Ben and his staff will be able to stay around. But if you have questions about life, and if you know that your life is empty, and you know you're just chasing one wave to the next wave, stop. Be born again. Respond to God the way that you were created to and enjoy life the way it was designed to be lived. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much that you did not leave us in darkness. That when we decided that we knew how to do things our way, that when we sinned, that when we did the things that we knew that we ought not to do, that you didn't leave us in death. You didn't leave us in darkness. But because of your great love for us, while we were still sinners, you sent your Son, the source of life, and he became flesh and gave up his life so that we could have life eternal. Father, forgive us for the ways that we have scorned the life that you've given us, where we look at your way and we say, no, my way's better. Father, forgive us for that. We confess that we do that too often. But Father, as a result of what your word has taught us tonight, I pray for all of us that we would choose to live life your way instead of our way so that you would be glorified in and through us the way you designed for us to be. And we ask that in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed Renovate this week. Uh, We'd love to continue to walk with you and encourage you in whatever it looks like uh, to surrender your life to uh, his life, to the life that Jesus called us to. Whether you realize you've never put your faith in Christ, you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you are still living the life that you want to with you at the center of it. Uh, And it's time to stop. And It's time to stop trying to build your kingdom around yourself. We'd love to pray with you and walk you through what that decision looks like and, and how to live that life. But also, if you're a mature believer and you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, our hope and challenge for you is that, yes, you would also continue to surrender, that you would continue to surrender daily, reminding yourself as we're so prone to forget that this life is found in Him, not in what we build uh, with the world around us. We love you. Let us know how we can love you more. Reach out to us at renovatefw.org if there's anything we can do for you. God bless.